Thank you, Russell. Well, good morning again. Uh, if I haven't met you, I'm Derek. I'd love to meet you. Um, glad that you're here this morning. We are, uh, as you can see, if you, um, if you are a regular, you can see we changed uh, colors of our banners. Um, today is the first day in the season of Pentecost. Bonnie even dressed in green just to match the seasonal colors. She doesn't always do that, but thank you for that, Bonnie. Um, but we're excited. It's Pentecost is really a celebration of the Holy Spirit bursting forth into the world in a different way. We're going to get to that in just a minute, but um, just wanted to introduce this. We're going to switch our text here just a little bit today. We're going to talk for the rest of the summer about the fruit that the Spirit actually produces in people. But before we do that, we'll pause this week to look at the Spirit actually setting about on God's mission. What does it mean to be part of God's mission? So we're going to look at Acts chapter 11 today. If you have a Bible, you can follow along with me. I'll read Acts 11, uh, verses, where am I? Verses 19 through uh, 30. Acts 11, verses 19 through 30. You know what? We're only going to go to 26. 19 to 26. Sorry about that. <laughs> now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and they taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your work, for your mission. Uh, Lord, that you have set out on uh, a mission, a path to redeem and renew and restore what has been broken and lost. You're relentless in that mission. So, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us by the power of your Spirit this morning, that you would open our blind eyes and open our ears and soften our hearts, that we might hear what you have to say to us today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, just a little bit of background. The season called Pentecost is actually celebrating the day of Pentecost that's recorded in Acts chapter 2. We didn't read Acts 2, we didn't read the events of Pentecost, but we did actually read the effects of Pentecost, because what happens on that day is that the Holy Spirit really kind of breaks out in a way, a new way, a fresh way. If you think about God's mission to redeem and restore as being something like a river, well, it's on Pentecost that there's a dam upstream that is opened up, and the river just comes flooding through. The water just comes flooding, and the flood of God's gospel goes everywhere. It expands and increases. We're here today because of that good news. We're here today because God decided to uh, expand the wonderful proclamation of the gospel on Pentecost. 
If you read back actually in Acts chapter 2, you'll see uh, that the events of what happened, the Spirit speaking through the disciples, that most of the people gathered around had no idea what was going on. In fact, they were utterly confused. Most of them thought that these disciples were drunk, that they were acting crazy because they had gotten up early in the morning and started pre-gaming. But that's not actually what was happening, of course. But we can be just as confused, I think, about the work of the Spirit in our lives and especially about how God's mission goes forward in the world. So we're just going to look at this today. How is the Holy Spirit working to accomplish God's mission, both here in the first century in Acts 11 and especially continuing even with us now? Because He's still at work, He's still on mission, and He's still working the same way. So here's the first thing that we really see about God's mission and is the one that really uh, is blaring from this passage and throughout all of the pages of Scripture is that God's mission is unstoppable. God's mission is unstoppable. There's no way to stop when God sets out to do something. I mean, look at verses 19 and 20 again. There were those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And then listen to this. And the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number who believed. Friends, we, we read that these people had been scattered to these different areas, right? Phoenicia and, and, and Cyprus and Antioch. These are in modern-day Turkey and Syria. And they are not in Jerusalem, which is where the church started, which is where the events of Pentecost were. We're there in the temple grounds in Jerusalem. That's where the Christian church started, there in Jerusalem. But now we actually have people who are scattered far and wide. Why are they scattered? Well, they're scattered because there are people who are trying to stop the proclamation of the gospel. There are those, especially the Jewish establishment at the time, who don't want to have, don't want to see Christianity preached. They don't want to see the gospel spread. They don't want the message of Jesus to go any further than where it started. And so they're trying to kind of stomp out this flame. But what do we read here? Is that God was with them. Is that all of the efforts of those who were trying to stop the gospel were totally futile. I don't know if you've ever um, driven around town uh, when it's flooding here in New Braunfels. I don't know why you would, and I don't know why I was at this time, but I remember driving over the San Antonio Street Bridge and seeing the Comal River in flood and is right there at the chute, and the water is just pouring over the chute. There's a dam there that's doing nothing at all. The water is just pouring over the dam and is just flooding down the river. That's kind of what's happening here is that those who are opposed to the gospel are trying to put up barriers, trying to put up a dam. Let's stop the flow of this. But what's happening is it's overflowing. There's no way to stop it. It's almost like a house fire, and people are gathered with little cups of water, throwing little water onto the house fire. You're not going to stop the fire that way, are you? Or maybe more appropriately, it's a grease fire that people are throwing cups of water onto. Right? So the fire is just expanding. <laughs> or hey, let's douse this thing with this big red can full of stuff that says gasoline on it. Maybe that'll put it out. That feels a lot more like what's going on. Because those who are trying to stop the gospel are stepping on one flame and two other flames crop up somewhere else. 
God's mission is going forward in such a powerful way that there is just no stopping it. Friends, if you don't take anything else from this morning, just remember that. God is on a mission to redeem and renew and restore, and there is nothing that is going to stop him from that mission. We serve a powerful God who desires to bring this world into a restored order, desires to win back what was lost from him, and he will not stop until it happens. All right, second thing we see, though, about the work of the Spirit and God's mission is that very oftentimes, very oftentimes, God actually uses unlikely things, in fact, difficult things, to accomplish his mission. I mean, just think again about those verses that I just read, right? The Jews, or the the Christians, excuse me, are scattered because of the persecution of the Jews. They are scattered into these various places, but what does that scattering do? (laughs) It actually increases the spread of the gospel. God works through the difficulty, the scattering of his people to proclaim his good news so that many, we read here, are saved. Now, you can go and find... Lots of examples, excuse me, of mistakes that end up being something good. For instance, uh, 3M sticky notes. If anybody knows this story, uh, the scientists who who were working on this were actually trying to invent a new adhesive that would actually stick to stuff. And the adhesive failed, and that failed adhesive, something that actually you could just kind of pull off whenever you wanted to, became sticky notes incredibly ubiquitous, incredible discovery based on really an accident. I read a story the other day about a woman who who went in a a convenience store and she went in to buy a lottery ticket and it was like um, like a vending machine, a lottery ticket vending machine. And she went to push the button of the one she wanted and this rude guy beside her bumped her arm and it moved her arm and she pushed the wrong button. And that button spit out a lottery ticket that won her $10 million. It's a pretty good mistake. That kind of thing happens all the time. But that's actually not what we're talking about here in Acts chapter 11. God is not actually cleaning up mistakes. He's not cleaning up his mistakes. He's not cleaning up other people's mistakes. God is actually sovereignly orchestrating all that is to come to pass, and he is using even the difficulty and the brokenness of the world to do so. Now, that's a concept that blows our minds, right? We don't really get our heads around that very well. But I said this last week as well, God uses sin sinlessly. God uses the brokenness of this world even to put the pieces back together. And he's been doing this for a long time. Think back into the Old Testament. If you know this story, you can kind of follow along. Right at the end of Genesis is the story of Joseph and his brothers. Joseph is the youngest of 12 or the second youngest of 12 brothers. He's the favorite of his father. His father dotes on him and and favors him in a way that really is very inappropriate. And because of this, his brothers really don't like him. And so they end up selling him to some slave traders that take him into Egypt, a foreign land at the time. But God is with Joseph. and, And God gives Joseph this amazing power to interpret dreams. And through a few dreams, he actually rises to power in Egypt, ends up being in the king's court and really second even to the king in power. And through one of these dreams, again, God tells Joseph that there's going to be a big famine in the land. 
And Joseph, because he's wise, because he knows there's a famine coming, he prepares Egypt for this famine, and they start storing up food. Well, it comes to pass that in times of the famine, the other countries haven't stored up food in the same way, so his father and brothers actually come to Egypt to buy food. And they are then face-to-face with Joseph, and they don't know it's him. And over time, in a beautiful story, he reveals himself to them. And what happens to them is amazing, actually. The very first emotion they feel is not joy. It's not elation in having seen their brother again. It's fear because they think we did this guy wrong and he's going to get us back. But what Joseph says is equally amazing. He says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You meant what you did for evil, and we can call it evil, we can call it wrong, but God was actually using your evil to accomplish His good. God was using your brokenness to accomplish His redemption. I love the way that John Piper says this. Listen to this quote. Life is not a straight line leading from one blessing to the next and then finally to heaven. Life is a winding and troubled road, switchback after switchback. And the point of biblical stories like Joseph and Job and Esther and Ruth is to help us, help us feel in our bones, not just to know in our heads, that God is for us in all of these strange turns. God is not just showing up after the trouble and cleaning it up. He is plotting the course and managing the troubles with far-reaching purposes for our good and the glory of Jesus Christ. God does all that He does, even in these crazy difficult situations, for His glory and our good. All right, here's a third thing that we learn about God's mission and the Spirit's work, is that very oftentimes, God loves to choose unlikely people to accomplish His mission. I'm just going to read you again verse 25. Maybe you didn't see this when we read it before. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. Now we open this passage by actually talking about uh, the, the scattering because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. Now Stephen is actually a character we're introduced to earlier in Acts. And so I'm going to read you a little bit of who Stephen is. This is in Acts chapter 6. should actually be up on the screen here as well. Acts 6, verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they, said, secret, then they uh, secretly investigated men who said, instigated men who said, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and they seized him, and they brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And then I'm going to skip down, actually, to the end of chapter 7. Stephen gives this amazing speech before the council, and here's the results that happen after this speech. Verse 54, now when they had heard these things, they were enraged. 
and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and they rushed together at him. And then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, if you are an early Christian and you have just left your home because you're afraid, because you're afraid of what happened actually to this one Christian who spoke out, what's going to make it even worse? Probably seeing the guy who oversaw the whole thing. Barnabas is bringing Saul, the one who actually started all of this, to come and minister to these people. That's crazy. That's crazy that the guy who shows up to encourage, to minister to them, to care for them, to help them actually grow in the Word and promote the Word is actually the guy that was persecuting the Christians at the beginning and the whole reason they're there. Doesn't God kind of sometimes have a sense of humor? Of course, God has been using unlikely people since the beginning. Abraham, he calls to work his promises through. Abraham, who was a wandering pagan man. He wasn't just somebody who was already committed to the Lord. Abraham, who sold off his wife as his sister, not once but twice to protect his own skin. Or Jacob, who was pretty much the world's worst liar. Or Moses, who was a murderer. Or David, who was an adulterer and probably a rapist even in, in, at the same time, and a murderer, and lots of other things. Or how about Peter, right, who when asked to his face, wait, are you a Christian, said, no, you're crazy, go away, I'm not, and did it three times. Or Paul, who oversaw the persecution and the death of Christians. But God, through the power of his spirit, can do miraculous things. He could transform people from persecutors to proclaimers. He could do incredible things. So it's probably good for us to just kind of sit and think right now, who, who are the people that we think God can't work through? Who's the person that pops up in your mind right now that God can't work through? Maybe, maybe it's your own face that popped up in your head. Which actually leads us, I think, to our final point about God's mission is that God not only uses difficulty and uses unlikely people, but guess what? He can also use us. Unlikely people going through difficulty. God, through the power of his spirit, can work through. Friends, this is really one of the wonderful, maybe surprising proclamations of the Bible, is that to belong to God's family is to belong to his mission. To belong to his people is also to belong to his mission. And God has actually called us to do the same thing that these young Christians were doing in Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. To be where they are, to take root where they are planted, and proclaim in word and deed what is most important to them. That Jesus has lived, has died, and has been raised and will come again. Now I'm just going to go ahead and tell you this. I'm not a very good evangelist. I don't think it's really my gift. It is my calling. 
and I'm oftentimes very failing in that calling. So if what you're thinking right now is, I'm sorry, that's just not me, I'm not really good at those things, I identify with you. And guess what, I'm speaking to both of us when I say, it's still our job. It's still our calling, it's still our great joy. But it's probably a lot easier than you think. So let's just talk really practically for just a second. What does it mean to proclaim the word where you are? Well, here's just some, some very basic, easy, maybe not easy, but at least simple things, right? Is that first of all, we do the regular stuff. So actually getting up and taking care of your kids and going to work and caring for your neighbors and actually being a good neighbor and a good citizen and a good employee or a good employer, that matters. The way that you carry your life matters. The way that your character is amongst others matters. The way that you say the things that you're going to say also matters. Because the way that we love one another is communicating Jesus' love to them. And of course, it also matters what you say, not just how you say it. So here's the second thing, is that we get to come alongside friends and neighbors and simply engage them in questions, in conversations, in ways of getting to know them. And as you're engaged in conversations with others, pay attention to the big questions that they're asking. Now, what do I mean by that? If you've been to our Introducing Hope class, uh, you've probably heard me say this, is that uh, our world is asking regular questions. Human beings are asking big questions. Questions like, what is true? Who am I? How do I change? Is there any hope in this world? These are not necessarily religious or Christian questions. These are human questions. These are what everybody's asking. I'm looking for truth. I'm looking for an identity. I'm looking for a way to be a better version of who I am. I'm looking for hope and some sort of motivation to change. So look for those questions in the conversations you're having with your friends. Now, they probably won't ask it exactly like that. But when they start digging around with the identity that they find in their job or in their favorite sports team, or with the amount of money they make, or how much they have stored up, or what kind of uh, achievements they've accomplished in their life. What they're asking is, who am I? Do I get to say who I am? Do I get to feel secure about who I am? And those are opportunities for us to begin to engage them in those questions and begin to offer, actually, the answers that God's Word gives. And then finally, here's the third kind of simple piece is that after engaging them in those questions, we get to actually call them to some sort of action. And that can be as simple as inviting them to worship. It can be as simple as inviting them to your small group. It could also be as simple as saying, hey, you know what? God's Word actually has some things to say about that. Would you like to meet me for coffee once a week and let's just read through the book of Matthew? They may say, no, sorry, not interested. But you know what? They also may say, yeah. That sounds great. I'd love to read the Bible. But they're not going to do it if you don't ask. So just call and ask. Finally, let me close with this. Is that when we do those normal things, the regular, everyday stuff, God, in His unstoppable mission, does some very irregular, amazing things. Now, you've, you've seen, right, you've set up dominoes before. Probably every kid has done that, you know, and you set them up in a line or in weird shapes or whatever, and you set them up and you knock one domino down and it knocks all of the rest of them down. It's cool to watch. It's neat to see dominoes knock each other down. 
But there's actually something interesting kind of mathematically going on there is that dominoes actually have the power to knock down something that is actually one and a half times their size. So for instance, a, a two-inch domino can knock down a three-inch domino. And a three-inch domino could knock down a four and a half-inch domino. You see, they actually can knock down something greater than their size. In fact, if you started with a two-inch domino, guess what? By the 18th domino, you could knock over the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Now, it is leaning, so, uh, so you know, but we, we had an advantage there. But once you get to the 23rd, you could knock over the non-leaning Eiffel Tower. Once you got to the 28th domino, you could knock over the Empire State Building. Isn't that crazy? It is expansive, not linear. It expands in geometric ways, not in linear ways. And that is the same way that the gospel proclamation works. It's when we just do the, the regular little stuff. God's spirit goes to work and does so much more than we could ever think or imagine. Friends, let's pray now that God would give us the faithfulness to engage in the small things that he's put in front of us so that he can actually do the big things himself. Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful even for um, not only making us part of your family, but making us part of your mission as we reflect on not only the events of Pentecost, but the effects of Pentecost, we see that your spirit has broken in with incredible power. Lord, that power is at work even in and amongst us. So we pray that you would work through us, that you would continue to expand this wonderful good news. It's the reason we're here 2,000 years and a continent away, is that your spirit has actually gone to work that spirit is still at work. Encourage us, empower us, convict us where necessary, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, one way we get to respond now to the Lord is by the giving of ourselves, giving of our tithes and offerings. We do so not in order to earn God's favor, but in response to the great favor he has given us.